Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome uh, to this pre-concert talk. Uh, very exciting event this evening, hearing Helen Grimes' brand new piece, Bright Travellers. Um, so I'd actually be lovely if you could welcome Fiona Benson, poet, and Helen Grimes, composer, please. <laughs> My name's Daniel Parkin, and I'm... I, I was thinking, why am I here? Um, I am here because uh, the... The uh, piece that you're going to hear tonight has been uh, inspiration for lots of other work that's been going on in the hall in the past few months, and particularly in, the, in this current week, actually. Um, there's a programme called Family Sounds, and um, I've been involved in that as a musician. And we've been immersed in Fiona's poetry and Helen's music um, as inspiration for working with a variety of groups um, who've passed through the doors, mainly in, in, well, actually all in early years, under fives. And it's been a fantastic starting point having, having these melodies and wonderful worlds to kind of take the children into. So actually only three or four hours ago, we were all rolling around on this very carpet. I can vouch for the comfort of Wigmore carpet, it's very nice. Um, but it's been fantastic and it's, we're, we're going on, we're doing, uh, Saturday we've got two more sessions, we had two today and we're working with Fair Beats, which is an organisation that works with uh, refugees and um, people who, who are still trying to find their place in this country, so bringing their families along. And then also this afternoon we had Westminster uh, early help, so early intervention help. And then uh, at the weekend we were also working with Positively UK, who work with people, families that have HIV and AIDS. So it's been, it's been a really diverse group of people and also Great Ormond Street have visited us as well. So it's been a really interesting range of people. Um, that's my connection to the piece here. But m what we're here to really hear about is um, this fantastic collection of poems and how um, Helen came to discuss. Maybe you could start by telling us actually how you mm. found the poems <coughs> and um, how how the, the spark came to you, I suppose, for these. Yeah, um, well, it was a wonderful thing, actually. I was just in a bookshop and browsing the poetry section, and often they lay out sort of prize-winning or things that are nominated for prize, prizes, and Bright Travellers was nominated for a T.S. Eliot Award. So I just picked it up and um, opened it at random, and I think the first poem I read was maybe Soundings, um, and I'd had a, I had a, a baby the year before, so um, the, a lot of this, a lot of the poems were about pregnancy and childbirth, and you know things like breastfeeding, and there were things that were very um, immediate for me that, that I'd just been through, and I felt a real resonance um, with these poems, and they're so. Um, immediate and they're so vital and there's there's so much sort of truth and beauty in them um, and there's also great sadness in them as well and all of those things I was very drawn to. They're also incredibly musical poems, they're poems that I read and felt that I wanted to set, that I could imagine as, as music um, and so I mean obviously they're, they're wonderful on their own but sometimes you read something and you can sort of imagine being able to make that into something else as well and that was something I very much felt with these poems and I felt very excited and so I had them with I've, I've had them since I think about 2014 and when I became composer in residence at 
at the Wigmore Hall, we talked about what pieces I would write and we, we talked about the song cycle and I already had these poems ready and I said, well, I really want to set these. Um, and, and luckily, John Gahooly very much liked the idea as well. And um, yes, it went from there. Mm. Do you get that response quite often? Because <laughs> I've just been in your company the past two hours, everybody says they're amazing. They're, I mean, they, they seem to really touch a, a chord with everybody. Um, well, certainly it's the first time somebody's put them to music in a big song cycle. I mean, that's a massive, mm. I don't know, gift and compliment. Mm. Um, I, think, I think they do speak to women and... Um, but they are working within a tradition. I'm not the first person to write poems about uh, giving birth and children and, yeah. Mm. But, yeah, uh, well, yeah. well. So what was your inspiration then for, it would be nice to know how you, how you started putting it, it's about 45 poems, is it? Yeah. Um, how that comes together, because you covered quite a diverse range of, so the, the, the early ones, uh, they're a small sort of collection of their own, aren't they? In the sense, yeah. yeah. Um, in in po the poetry world, uh, it takes a long time to put a debut book together. They don't, they don't, they're not screaming to publish you. <laughs> so uh, this Bright Travellers, it um, the poems in it range over about ten years. So that has an impact, I think, on the diversity of the material. So um, the first section was a commission, and then um, there was another section that cohered using paintings as step-off points. So yeah. poets will sometimes take another art, art form and use it um, as a step-off point for something they need to say. So that uses the Van Gogh poem. So that was two sets. And then when I was looking at the other poems that I had, this kind of narrative of um, my life, in a way, the kind of um, trying to have children and having children and what it was like in the early years seemed to make a kind of arc yeah. through that. So that's how I gathered them. And was it hard to put them together, to choose where to place them? It, uh, it was and it wasn't. Um, to begin with, I just had too much material because of this kind of 10-year problem I had. <laughs> <laughs> so it was sifting them. A lot. <laughs> so right. sifting them. And that, but that narrative, finding that narrative arc and thinking, yes, I definitely want the book to take that direction, that really helped, actually, with the sifting. Because mm. yeah. actually reading them through... I, I've already said I'm not great on poetry, but actually just reading them through from beginning to end, it does feel like there's a real <coughs> natural mm -hmm. arc to that. I, I guess you agree with that. I love that I mean, they, they don't crop up today, but maybe you, you had a response to the Van Gogh set of poems, actually, because um, mm. they, I mean, they're beautiful and evocative, and your responses to a visual stimulus, actually, I think is, is fascinating, actually. Were the, did they come really easily, or were they...? Uh, they did. Um for the first three that I wrote, um, I was just, look, just looking at a book of reproductions of Van Gogh paintings. And I think there were things I needed to say at the time that I wasn't saying. And I think sometimes it can just be a key and open a door into, into something for you. And also because they use a mask, so they're spoken in the voice of uh, Van Gogh's prostitute mistress vaguely, it allows you to tell truths that you maybe aren't ready to own yet. and okay. So th that sequence deals with depression and that kind of thing, stuff that I wasn't ready to take a lyrical eye voice with, but which the Van Gogh paintings and that persona helped me find a way to express it, yeah. Mm. That's 
Yes, that makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah. And, but then you were prepared to have the, the more personal poems that come later in the collection. Yeah. Um, which is some of which we're going to hear mm. set tonight. Um, was that an easier thing to do, to, put, to include those? Or because you don't have the mask, essentially. To I don't have the mask. Um, and they do, they, do, they do make me feel vulnerable. But um, I also think they're important. To, it's important for women to talk about. Them. So I think you're thinking about some of the miscarriage poems. So I think it's important to have a place where you can talk about things like miscarriage, because otherwise it gets repressed, and then you don't have a way to understand it when it happens to you. Mm -hmm. And but also, I have predecessors again, like um, was Plath, and um, has written about miscarriage. And um, Sharon Old is an amazing just amazing, brave writer when it comes to writing about those experiences and claiming that territory is something that is appropriate for poetry and that you can write poems about and yeah. that that's allowed and permitted and, yeah. And it must be nice to stand on their shoulders, I suppose, and feel that you can continue that yeah. in, your own, in your own work as yeah. well. Mm. Yeah, I think, it's really, I think it's really important, that heritage. And, yeah. mm. Shall we hear some plath? Would you like <laughs> Could some you plath? Okay. It's, it seems rude not to have Fiona in the room and ask her to read something. Okay. So if you don't mind, that would be lovely. Well, um, so I think Plath herself had a miscarriage between her daughter and her son. And she wrote this quite monumental poem called Three Women, a poem for three voices, which I think isn't as well known as it should be because I think it's an amazing work and it takes three perspectives, one of which... Um, is a woman who miscarries. And um, I think, yeah, I'll read it, but it relates very strongly to our first miscarriage um, because she's in a workplace when it happens, and um, that was my experience as well. So, When I first saw it, the small red seep, I did not believe it. I watched the men walk about me in the office. They were so flat. There was something about them like cardboard, and now I had caught it, that flat, flat, flatness from which ideas, destructions, bulldozers, guillotines, white chambers of shrieks proceed, endlessly proceed, and the cold angels the abstractions. I sat at my desk in my stockings, my high heels, and the man I worked for laughed. Have you seen something awful? You are so white suddenly. And I said nothing. I saw death in the bare trees, a deprivation. I could not believe it. Is it so difficult? for the spirit to conceive a face, a mouth. The letters proceed from these black keys, and these black keys proceed from my alphabetical fingers ordering parts. Parts, bits, cogs, the shining multiples. I am dying as I sit. I lose a dimension. Trains roar in my ears, departures, departures, 
the silver track of time empties into the distance, the white sky empties of its promise like a cup. These are my feet, these mechanical echoes, tap, 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 steel pegs, I am found wanting. This is a disease I carry home, this is a death. Helen, how do you, um, how, what was your initial response to, to finding Fiona's poems and how did you begin to select? Because actually we're hearing five settings tonight, yeah. aren't we? It, it was really difficult to choose and that there are so many poems that I would have liked to have set. And I eventually came down to six and I think I have permission to set six. So there's, there's one um, that I will set at a later date, but I just didn't think that it would balance so well in this cycle. So, yeah, there were so many, but I had to think, I was thinking about how it would balance as a cycle and how they would work beside each other and all of those things. Um, and, yeah, I mean, shall I talk about a bit about how I work with that'd the poetry? Lovely, that'd and be how, fantastic. Um, so I, I, ha I had these poems for, so I started writing the cycle last year. Um, the last song was written right at the beginning of this year. Um, so I, I sort of lived with the poems for a couple of years um, before that, so I knew them quite well. Um, and so when I'm about to set um, a poem, I spend a, a lot of time reading it, as you can imagine, but reading it out loud. And so the first thing I think about is, is the structure, um, and I, I start getting a sort of vague picture of the sort of sound world, the sort of speed, the character. Um, and, you know, it's a real joy for me working with poetry because most of the time I'm writing abstract music and, you know, it takes a lot of those initial decisions are made for me by, by the poem. Um, and that's, that's a, a wonderful thing. And it, it feels quite freeing, actually, you know. Um, so I spend a lot of time reading out loud and then playing with it, and somehow it starts to become something else. It starts to become um, music, and I start thinking, um, I start imagining different rhythms, um, trying out different rhythms with it, and then I start to see a shape in the line. Um, and at that point, I s it, it's usually a melodic um, idea that comes first and so I, I will put down melodic fragments and then I will draft that many many times because in, in this I think with these particular poems I just wanted to be very as true to them as I could be I wanted um, for the words to be heard and I also didn't want to um, do anything too disruptive to them actually I wanted it to be quite pure so there's not much repetition um, and there are very drawn out lines, but um, I try to get across some of the natural rhythm of the, of the words. And yeah, so it, it, it's a, a gradual, quite instinctive process to begin with. But then once I get to that stage, it's sort of um, getting into all the, the nitty gritty technical aspects of composing and balancing the two things and of course these poems are very very powerful and um, it can be a very emotional thing mm. working with these words yes. yeah and constantly repeating them you know because I, as I'm working I'm singing these lines over and over again and fragments of them and that's 
quite um, a very intense experience. Um, You're saying how in Brew you were having earlier, that was when you kept having to step away from... Yeah, because I was my heart was beating really fast when I was trying to write them and I would get very excited and uh, ad adrenaline, um, you know, it, it, it brings back so many emotions and, and the feelings that you have when, that I had when I was pregnant. Um, is that so an experience you have when you're writing a purely orchestral piece or an instrumental piece or was this a, almost a yeah, it was a, a different type, a type, a different type of response, an emotional response, because it's directly with these poems. And um, I think when you get that, those kind of intense emotions when when I'm composing anyway, then I have to step away. If I get very excited about idea and I find that my heart's beating fast, and I, then I can't focus. So um, it's 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 you have to harness that and and get that um, that balance. I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, Ruby mentioned at the rehearsal, she said, oh, you know, there was nothing sentimental. And that, that's very important to me as well, because these poems are very moving. Mm -hmm. And they, they're often, Council Officers particularly, is a very sad poem. Um, but I didn't want to do something sentimental. Um, mm. I, I wanted for the words to come across. And we, talked, we, we were talking about that earlier, the idea that actually this is very much... I, I, I was asking Helen whether she felt this is completely in the art song tradition, um, which essentially the, the rest of the programme, this evening's concert is. And, mm. um, and you, you were very clear about saying, yes, it, yes it is. You know, it's about mm. text is first and, that, and that, that's being illuminated by mm. what you do. It's, there's some very sparse, very beautiful all the time, but very sparse writing as well for the piano. Um, I just wondered what it, did you have any say in the, in tonight's program as well, or is that all Joe um, and Ruby? That's all Joe and Ruby, um, but um, obviously I knew it would be around the sort of themes of mm. parenthood as well. And I mean, it's such a beautiful program. I can't wait it is, yes. to hear them do everything else on it. So it's a real joy to hear all those pieces together. It's very rare, I think. And by chance, five a choice of five, not. In relation to do with the Kinder Tour and Lieder the Mahler, or is that, that just coincidence? <laughs> it's just coincidence, actually, because <laughs> I did mean to set um, six, but it just worked out. I, I felt, I, I felt that there's there's another poem. I just felt if it, it somehow couldn't be tacked on to the end, and it was the last poem, Council Offices. It would be difficult to have something after that mm. somehow, or I felt that. Um, so yes, it yeah, it wasn't to do with that. But and you've re you've re you've reordered them slightly from the yeah from the way yeah, that, but that's um, yes, yeah, so I have done that. Um, so was that something you had in mind from the start, or was that once you'd you'd written the musical actually? Like, I knew that I wanted council officers to come last, but actually it's about registering um, the the birth. That's how it, the poem um, begins. So it. Sh it the poem that I've set third, Visitations, um, actually comes much later in, in Fiona's um, mm. volume um, in, in the, the cycle as it is. So, but I just, I had a very strong idea about the character of each song and what I wanted to do and how they would relate um, to each other. And yeah, I just knew, and I, I sort of hoped that Fiona wouldn't mind too much, <laughs> that I'd shifted that <laughs> order a little bit. <laughs> You don't mind it, I should go. Council Offices has been mentioned so many times, I suppose. We, would you mind reading it? Yeah, it would be, yeah. be lovely to hear it. 
council officers. The registrar asks if this is our first live-born child. And I think of the shuttered room and rolling screen, my empty womb and that failed scrap of fetal sack. Then remember again the corridor of the labour ward and that woman sitting weeping with her man, having given birth to a death. Small grey face, no breath, something you cannot help but love. Habibi Akushla, I go home alone, but carry you, curry you, little slipped thing to the ends of the earth. Thank you. Is it, is it hard to, to revisit and read, or is, it, is there yeah, enough time? Sometimes they kind of bite you in the butt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> um, it, yeah, sometimes they get me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because, I mean, those were real things. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes. And but in interesting, yeah. the, the one that Helen didn't, in the end, include was about a different baby. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it kind of does belong. Yeah, it's quite separate actually mm. in the volume. It's much. It's much later. Mm. Um, Just because all the other ones are about my first miscarriage and first daughter, and then yeah, yeah. that's weird. I, d I didn't know that, but it just. When it came to it, it just mm, did feel like it. something separate, actually, yeah. Mm. But I would really like to set it at some point. Mm. Would you include that? Do you think you might? No, I think, it would have to, I think it would have to be a separate mm. thing, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I love the idea of it feeling actually quite a cathartic process, working through the poems and composing at the same time. D more broadly, mm. is being a mum and having a child changed your outlook on composing or I mean actually you, you you said you weren't sure whether you would be able to continue being a composer once you became a mother um I mean I knew I would but I was worried that it would change me it would change what I did um artistically on a practical level and also just you yeah you don't know how you're gonna change and um I, I'd I you know I knew some people who had become that just their outlook had changed towards what they did and they'd become less driven and I, I didn't know, what you don't know how you're going to feel. Um, that, that didn't happen to me and, and in fact actually once I'd had Samuel I, I felt like a real sort of creative energy. I think actually having that little bit of time, that fallow time was really important and there was such a sort of release of joy I suppose as well and that that's a really exciting thing that you can try and channel um, creatively, but yeah, it's you know it's a difficult uh, shift, you know, um, for anyone. Um, it's it's like a huge life change, um, and finding a balance, finding a way to to work alongside and be a mother and and being a, an artist, which is incredibly consuming. And it's something which is you, you have to be quite selfish about, and um, you know you're guarding your time and 
it just takes so much time. It takes so much time to write um, write a piece, and it takes so much of you. And um, that's the only way to, for me to do it. So it's trying to balance those things really. Um, and I think it takes qu quite a long time to sort of get a grip on on that sort of. Is there a lot of? Is there a lot of? Does Samuel? come into your work a lot now, do you find? He actually doesn't really, and he sort of <laughs> knows not to. It's not that I'm really scary or anything, but um, he, at six o'clock, so he's, he's now at school, um, and from three to six, generally we've got um, Nanny that comes in and she looks after him, and at six o'clock he'll be like, Mommy, come down, it's two minutes past six, it's time to stop. He knows that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, you know, and he's usually trying to find something finish something off or something and he's he's brilliant and you know obviously I'm incredibly lucky that not only um, I've been able to to have great childcare um, mm. but I have a very supportive family. Mm. Um, <laughs> Is he so a creative influence? Is he there in the back of your mind? Um, yeah I mean I think there's just that huge sort of joy and love that's um, that becomes a part of what you do. Mm, mm. Because Fiona, you, you've been quite explicit. We, we were chatting earlier about your the final poem in the collection is a, is beautiful, um, beautifully written to your daughter, mm. your first daughter, and that's. I think I just think that must be the most incredible gift for her when she's of an age to yeah. really appreciate mm. that. I hope so. Yeah. There's a little bit of pressure to write one for Rose. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be like, well, <laughs> I'm waiting her for her to clock that. I have written one, but it's uh, it's not as good. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let her be the judge of that. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I, I imagine there'll be more. I mean, over the years, yeah. you're not just going to write. Yeah. Once you've once you've gone there, it's probably quite nice to keep. Yeah, my yeah. I I, I spent quite a lot of time after my uh, second daughter was born writing about maternal anxiety, and suddenly just thought this is my subject and wrote lots and lots of poems about it. And my editor was like, I think there's going to be a few too many poems about maternal anxiety in this collection. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been um, yeah, it's been quite good actually to write. Um, because I've just nearly finished a collection. One half of it is not really to do with babies or children at all, and that's been quite liberating to kind of remember that there is a writing self there who isn't a mum, or is a mum, but there's something, you know, is not just, or not only a mum, not just, you know, not only, rather than belittling mm. being a mum, but, yeah. Can you talk, we've heard a bit about Helen's process, can you just talk us through maybe how it, how it is for you writing drafting, yeah. reading aloud maybe, or does that come a lot um, later? I do, I do, I walk along like a crazy person talking to myself. When I get stuck I go for walks and kind of power through it, talk out loud. Um, but to begin with, I think it, I mean I think they're comparable because it's a kind of listening, so I'll get some words <coughs> or a line or a feeling and then I'm trying to excavate that in a way. So um, I'll write it and rewrite it and rewrite it for drafts and drafts and drafts all by hand and then something will emerge or it won't and we'll end up in the bin. Mm. Mm. Do you keep things that you discard or are you quite happy to let things go? Um, I do let them go in the end. They sit around in drawers for a long time. I need to find 
Somewhere to burn them. <laughs> yeah. Ceremony, yeah. Yeah, well, I read this thing about Roald Dahl having <laughs> like a big <laughs> kettle drum or something outside his shed oh, where yeah. he burned everything every week. So I think that <laughs> could be a good ritual. <laughs> do, you, do you keep things or you? I keep everything, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. A lot of sketches. Because just saying, oh, I might need to revisit that. I might need to look at those or. Yeah, I need to get rid of some of those older pieces. I've just got, you know, piles and piles. Mm. How long does it stay by hand with you? I mean, um, yeah, it, it depends. Right. Um, but it's it's all by hand. But then I'll will often go onto computer, mm -hmm. so I'm writing by hand, and then I'm putting it. So I won't put it all on at the end. If you see what I mean, I'll do it as I go along, because otherwise I just would not get it done. And then you can hear it back from the computer you as well. Can, can do, you? yeah, but. Um, Okay, it just sounds really unmusical Does and it? yeah, and so particularly like with songs, I mean you can't, it wouldn't like sing words to you, it'd okay. be like this weird sort of like noise which is trying to be a voice. Um, the piano sounds like a piano but okay. you can't do any expression or anything like that but it can, but it can be useful for pacing and um, harmonic things, that kind of, that kind of thing, yeah. And do you record yourself when you're singing? Oh no, I'm on, oh, actually no, I do sometimes. I, I, I'd say no because I, I don't like the idea of <laughs> me singing being recorded, but actually no, I did. I did do it a bit um, yeah. when I was writing these songs. To remember um, things. Well, no, mainly just to get more of a sense of pacing. Um, so I would sort of play through um, a piano interlude and then sing because sometimes you just you need to hear it in a few different ways, mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah, so I, I did do a bit of that. N not too much, but a little bit, yeah. Mm. But I hate to think what it sounds like when I'm composing, because I, I have earphones on for the keyboard, so I do a lot of work at the um, piano, but it's at a keyboard, so I, d I don't like the idea of anyone hearing what I'm doing, because often I'm just banging out chords and working out the harmony, and it wouldn't be, I'd be very self-conscious about that. But so it must just sound like me wailing. Um, so basically like <laughs> trying to shriek out these top A's that I've written for Ruby or, you know, and just sort of getting these, getting these lines. Um, and I, I sing a lot actually, even when I'm not writing vocal music, when I'm writing orchestral music, um, uh, I, I think in a very linear way. Um, so there are a lot of lines and different, different layers. And so I will sing those as I'm working as well. Mm. Yeah. Started, do, you, do you ever record yourself? No. no. <laughs> I just thought actually it's the reflective practice. Because oh. yeah. that's a huge amount of reflection for you, for you, isn't it, really? Constantly playing that back, listening back all the time, I suppose. Mm. Well, Helen's working with a lot more layers, isn't she? I suppose so, yeah. yes. Have you had anybody else reading your poems? Yes, I have, yeah. Is it weird? It's very weird, mm. yeah. Yeah. It was a kind of <laughs> poetry by heart and yeah and so some people had learnt <coughs> learnt it by heart oh. and yeah they were it was two people and they both learnt one of the more histrionic poems oh. and it was it's very intense I kind of mm. flushed mm. <laughs> were you judging yes oh. and then I was like oh. <laughs> well I can't choose so, them something, something sort of mildly embarrassing or something <laughs> yeah just or just makes you feel mm. those are things you get to <laughs> situations. What's it like being a female poet in the 21st century? 
Uh, well, I think we're incredibly, I'm incredibly lucky to be in this century. Um, especially uh, from my background, I'm, I've had a kind of education that, you know, I'm so lucky, I'm so lucky that I'm allowed to publish and um, I think on a practical level, because, you know, uh, society likes young female poets, I think. I think you get along quite fast when you're... But they're not so keen on uh, <laughs> mother, mother or don't Not that they're not keen on you, but there's an effort... There's not an effort made to support you. So I think the art, one of the things the art, arts world needs to do to support equality is to support uh, women who are looking after children and uh, don't have access to masses of childcare and need the time. And I think, I think it's time that the arts world stepped up with that, actually. I think it's been overlooked. So there's lots of things set up. Like re in the poetry world, there's lots of things set up like... Um, residencies where you're you're invited to go for a month or so yeah <laughs> it's, it's, uh, i think there's similar things in the composition world as well there's things that you just can't do yeah like they're just to shut to america you. for a macarthur fellowship or something like that yeah because you can't take your children no with you um and it just needs to be a flexible approach to mm. how you support <coughs> mothers so I, was, I, I mean in a way i was very lucky i got an arts council grant was it to finish some of Bright Travellers, which all went on childcare, but I wasn't allowed to say it was going on childcare. I had to right. make up other things. Make yeah. up other things. Um, and you just need time. You just, that's all you need. And I, I think I was very naive. I wasn't, I wasn't cautious like you. I thought it was all going to be fine and my daughter was going to nap and I could write in the nap times. <laughs> <laughs> she did not nap yeah. and I was constantly exhausted and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah that's, and does that feel? Is it hard graft? I mean, you, you you have an editor. Does that, or is that no guarantee of security? You're, you're published. Is it a, literally as each collection comes along, it it feels mm -hmm. like you've got to start that process again, essentially. I think. Yeah, I think I think you do still have to earn your place. Mm. I think mm. I thought once you had a publisher, you were fine, but I think you probably are not. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's, it, the arts world is tough right now. Mm. Mm. It's, it's not a lot of... It feels like it's shrinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it does. Is that, does that feel the same as a female composer in the 21st century? What's yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're I mean, very busy at the moment, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah which, which is great. But, um, you know, there's, yeah, it's, um, it's difficult balancing those things and pressure as well and I think one of the difficult things for me was that I wanted to wait until I was established um, as, as a composer that I, I was at a certain stage in my career really um, before having a baby um, because I didn't want to to just be forgotten about and um, various different things and I also knew that the only way that I was going to be able to really continue what I was doing and also because my husband is a composer and a pianist and, and he's very busy and doing that and he's away a lot I knew that really I wouldn't be able to continue doing what I wanted to do unless I could afford the right kind of childcare um, to fit in with what we did um, and so I waited to have Sam, oh, what was I, was I 32 when I had him? Um, 
And but the, that's exactly the time of my career, which was becoming much busier. And actually, it's been more so since having him. And so that you know, the, those years when you have to really think about having children, have children, are also those years where. Um, it's vital in your career that you, you have this sort of forward direction and that you build on those those earlier successes and that you then have to write bigger pieces and you've got, you know, um, increasingly sort of more um, high-profile commissions and they really matter mm-hmm. and you've got to work to those deadlines and that's, um, that's yeah, that's quite a lot of pressure. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's... As I say, I've been really, really lucky that I was able at that stage and financially to be able to to have that childcare. And I do spend all my money on childcare. That's not to say he's always been looked after by someone else. Um, <laughs> it's just that um, I knew that we needed something that was quite flexible because mm. we're both working from home or um, away a lot. Mm. And and also, like my parents have been incredibly supportive. Mm. They look there a huge part of Samuel's life mm. um, yeah but You're I think it's very difficult for um, women who and not and I think if I'd had a baby earlier you know if I had had a baby in in my late 20s or mid 20s I think it would have been very different for me um, mm. and I'm not sure I would have been able to sustain the work that I've done mm. um, you were saying there were a few you could think of few female composers who have children, and that's. Well, th- I mean, there are. Yeah, there, there, I mean, obviously there are, but there, there are also um, many women who who don't uh, as well. And it did feel like, and uh, and with my uh, my female colleagues composers, you know, we talk about it. You know, is it something? I, are you going to do it? And I'm, you know, it, it's like a huge decision for a lot of people. And it, it was mm-hmm. for me, and finding the right time, and um, yeah, it's. It's uh, because it's an incredibly consuming thing as well. Are there any composer, female composers, I suppose, particularly that, that f- historically that that you thought, oh, they got it right, they got the balance right, or? Well, I mean, I think it was much, much more difficult, and um, I think that there is often that story of women actually being very successful and and then having children and not composing for long time or, or just doing much much less or mm. yeah not doing it at all historically um, so yeah and as I say you know I live in an age where I can mm. um, and it's okay for, for me to to think yes I deserve to be able to do this as much as my husband and you know I would hate to resent him and I, I, I knew that I did not want that to be an issue I didn't want to feel like I put my um, creativity and career on the back burner for him and he wouldn't want that either so mm-hmm. um, yeah but I think if that had been the case I, th- I think it would be very difficult difficult for the relationship mm. um, yeah so uh, yeah it's a tough one and, and like you say there's for people who weren't are not in the position that I was in to be able to say right i saved up this money and I'm gonna and and I'm comfortable enough to, to know that it's gonna cost a lot in childcare and I'm um, for people who can't do that it's it's very very difficult to sustain a career and um, 
and also if you're not at that stage you know if you're a lesser lesser known i'm not saying i'm like really famous but um uh, <laughs> just saying that if you if you don't have um much of a, a, a profile yet if you're in earlier early um career stage you know you, you constantly you need to build on things and if you do take that time out um you know that there's always that risk that you just won't be able to you know build on mm. on things so yeah it's it's the balance getting that, that <laughs> balance yeah it's, it's it's not easy but I, I hear what you're saying about residencies and things mm. as well and getting um I, I think there was probably some, I've heard of some amazing sort of Scandinavian residencies where you can go along and you can take children, and, but it's, yeah, it's not, the, it's not the norm, is it? No. Mm. I just wanted to, we haven't got much time left, sorry, the chatting was lovely. Um, we, we, we'll open to questions in a moment as well. I just wanted to ask about essentially legacy, really, for, for both of you and your work and how you feel that moves forward, particularly as, as female artists. Um, I think, Fiona, you've said it's, it, sometimes it can feel quite hard doing that and propelling it and keeping it going. And, mm. and um, I'm just wondering where, how you see it panning out into the future, I suppose. And do you keep creating and building a body of work? Well, I hope so. Mm, <laughs> mm. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine a life where I wouldn't mm. be. Um, but I think it's just, it's a community thing as well. I think I have to, you have to make an effort to support other women writers and promote their work as well, because I think that seems to happen for men and maybe not so much yes. for women. Um, so I think there's a, you know, there's a challenge there to mm. buy women's writing and read women's writing and talk about women's writing and keep that conversation going I think yes it's really important saying I can imagine just the same actually and we need to play because I, I lovely as tonight's program is mm. <laughs> I must say I was slightly disappointed you're the only female composer in it mm. um, and I you know th that feels like it should be an opportunity to represent it more but I suppose you're adding to the canon of, of songs mm -hmm. there in order to do that I don't know whether there are many other song cycles by female composers and female poets that reflect on this subject matter, do you know of any or...? Oh, put me on the spot. No, um, sorry, that's <laughs> no, no, it, that's I because I don't I know really of it. I mean, I mean, obviously I know a lot of song cycles by, mm. by women composers, but I can't, off the top of my head right now, think of... I can actually, th yeah, on this subject, mainly written by men, it's what I'm thinking about right now, but that's mm. not to say that there are not, it's just that I'm not aware. No, yeah. that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, does anybody have, have anything they'd like to ask Fiona or Helen, gentlemen here? Um, I, I was just struck by how, how this um, panel was advertised. It was about parenthood. Yes. Um, well, and, um, <laughs> obviously, you're not talking about the problems of Sibelius or Bach or Wagner with being fathers. Uh, you're talking about the problems of being mothers. So is there some sort of embarrassment about saying that this panel was about motherhood. Uh, mm. No, there's not at all. I, 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 I think I, it's because <laughs> I think it might be because the sort of festival around this this concert and the other concerts that are happening in the education um, concerts are about parenthood. So I think it's sort of then been 
it's sort of connected in that way. Do you see what I mean? So exactly. I think it's sort of maybe referring to the whole um, festival. I think I, exactly that. The problems of fathers at all. I'm not saying you should. I mean, no, I, no. I came because I assumed that you'd be talking about motherhood and literary yeah. interest. But, <laughs> I mean, in my experience, um, there's an enormous um, taboo against talking about mothers and motherhood. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's politically correct to talk about parenthood. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's just as bad to talk about fathers. You're supposed to call everybody parents. Exactly. I yeah, I think there is. I think I think you're right. I think there is definitely there is that um, aspect to it as well as is you know wanting to be um, inclusive of everyone. But obviously, this cycle is very much written from mm. a, a mother's perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, it would have been nice to obviously it, it touch would. on, <laughs> but we, I think we would need. Well, we would have been pushed for time. Well, I well. think, I think actually, <laughs> I, I, I don't think you should have. Been. I, mean, I mean, it's obvious from the way you've been talking that the problems for a, a composer who is a mother mm. are enormously, you know, much more than for a father who's a composer. Mm. I mean, you wouldn't, well, you wouldn't have a, a panel talking about the problems. Of Bach or Wagner being, being fathers. No, there was somebody, there was one, um, an author, I can't remember who it was now, but he's, he's, uh, some, somebody had said that they get sick of being asked about how they uh, write and be a mother at the same time. And, and this author responded, yes, nobody ever asked me how I juggle fatherhood mm. and writing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a political point. Well, there, I mean, there? I think some people genuinely do, I mean, do have yeah. issues, you know, mm. people... Yeah. Are, you know, parenting in a, a very equal way. Yeah, lots and of my, lots of poet, lots of male poets are taking yeah. the, because that's how they're balancing it with their um, writing life. Is they're, yeah. they're the main carer and their and partner that can is, be very, very difficult because yeah. then they're in the same um, position. Yeah. yeah, I think. Um, I will take responsibility for this because I was fully aware it was parenthood and <laughs> if I wasn't sitting next to two such fascinating interesting people I might have I think I'm I'm possibly also here because I'm a I'm a parent I'm a I'm a I'm a non-biological father so I have an adopted son and um, that's that comes completely with its own sort of issues and um, uh, we often talk about with his parenthood, but actually with an adopted child, you often talk about parenting plus. And mm -hmm. as, as I'm a musician and I, and I sort of have to make my living in very much in the same way that Fiona and Helen do. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's, it's interesting because I, 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 this isn't to be about me at all, but I was the, with my partner, we're a same-sex couple, and I was the designated primary carer. So I've had many friends who are, who are very supportive and very lovely that say, oh, you're the mother. Oh, you're doing the mother role. And I started going, if you thanks. want to call it that, but thanks. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I, yes, so I, wasn't, I didn't want to sit here and talk about myself, but that was, that I, that I, very aware of, of that as, a, as an issue as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I think you covered it really well. Yes, <laughs> I, th I find it fascinating to hear how people manage to have creative lifestyles, uh, have creative jobs, and, and, and whether that's a... a a man or a woman, um, mm. and how they manage to make make that that connection and make that work. Um, are there any other questions before we finish? Go for it. I was just going to ask about inspiration, and, and I mean, I, my wife and I had a, had a kid a couple of years ago, 
And since then, you know, there's just this feeling that your world becomes hugely smaller. That you know, your life before, where you might be going out to work, art exhibitions, plays, reading mm. widely, going to the cinema, all these sorts of different mm. cultural stimuli, <laughs> suddenly all gets centered down into sort of one little person. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just sort of wonder, I mean, we're not creative artists, so we don't have to worry about inspiration too much, but I wondered if, as, as creative artists, how do you respond to that when, or did you feel that, that, you, that, 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 you know, that maybe there's, it, it, the, 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 the range of stimuli and the range of inspiration available to you is, is more narrow than maybe it was before. I don't know if that makes sense. Do you want to? <laughs> well, um, I know that when I come to London, I try and cram in as <laughs> many galleries as I can. Um, but uh, well, they, my, I find the children quite inspiring. And I also, although there is this narrowing, there's also this uh, cracking open, isn't there? There's this kind of universal thing. So suddenly I've got something in common with so many people. And it's, uh, it's very, it feels very raw, but it also feels like something that you share with such a vast majority of the world and it kind of breaks down a lot of boundaries. So I found that quite freeing. But um, also, I guess with me, I w work a lot with the poetry of the natural world. So, yeah, I took my daughter for walks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think I probably not when he was first born, but I still try to do quite a lot of reading. Um, and I'm mainly just doing that before I go to, right before I go to sleep. And I try to, I, the time that I'm usually seeing new exhibitions or trying to discover um, artists, poets, is early on in my process. And um, so when, at the beginning of writing a piece, when I'm still sketching, um, even when I'm not sketching, um, I find it really inspiring. Um, to draw on other artists, so I, that's the time when I'm sort of. But I, I, I don't get to the cinema anymore. That's, that's <laughs> one thing I don't, don't do. No, <laughs> maybe next a, year. It's a special <laughs> treat to go to the cinema, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So don't go and see anything yeah. terrible. I did the last one I went to. I left because it was a, such oh. a waste of time. Back but it's so easy to listen now, though, isn't it? Because you yes. can. I mean, you know, obviously, I try and get to the concerts that I can do, but often that's mainly my own concerts or my husband's concerts, and I haven't been to many of his recently. But um, you can do a lot of discovering so easily on YouTube, for example. Um, and so you can constantly be hearing new things if you want to. Mm. Um, and again, I only do that at certain times, mm. not when I'm sort of in the thick of a piece. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. Uh, I think I've allowed it to completely overrun. I'm so sorry. Uh, but thank you so much for coming and enjoy um, what will be an incredibly special piece tonight. If you could say a huge thank you to Fiona and Helen for sharing with us. <laughs>